Colby for, for getting the pulpit. Thank you, Colby, for putting the video together. You guys are awesome. Love each one of you folks and appreciate each one of you folks this morning. This morning, we are going to talk about peace. We're going to walk through this passage in Micah that's already been read through our Advent reading. We're going to walk through that. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate that. Um, we're going to walk through that this morning and uh, look at that. This, But I want to I want to just encourage you. There are some folks this morning who are, who are having a a very difficult weekend. You've all seen the news this 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 weekend of the tornadoes that struck through probably on the ground for over 200 miles, one tornado. Um, death toll nearing 100 folks if it hasn't already hit that because of the tornado. Just so much destruction, so much um, pain right here at, at the holidays. And um, just, just, we want to pray for these folks. And uh, ask God to give peace to them, to, to encourage them, to, to bind up those who are hurting this morning, those who lost family members in the storm, loved ones in the storm. We want to ask that the Lord would comfort them and strengthen them, that there is a peace that they can have in the midst of trial, in the midst of storm. There is a peace that they can have. And so also this week... Um, if, if you if you would like to give to uh, to relief efforts there, we'll be sharing ways that you can give to relief efforts um, to those who are, are struggling and, and need need assistance through the Church of God. Church of God has uh, relief agencies, um, the Church of God Men and Women of Action, and the Church of God Operation Compassion, and both of those are Church of God relief uh, organizations and relief efforts. And uh, we'll make those available to you if you would like to, to give to help those relief efforts. Um, but we want to pray for those families this morning as well. And because they are hurting, they need this peace that only God can give. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would bring strength and peace. Comfort these this morning who mourn. Comfort these this morning who have lost loved ones who have lost family members, who have lost friends, lost sons or daughters, moms or dads. We ask, Lord, that you would strengthen and encourage and that you would bring peace. Bring peace. Bring peace. In Jesus' name. So this season of Advent, we've been talking about Advent. Advent is this season of waiting patiently waiting for the promise to be revealed, for the promise to be fulfilled. We are enduring until the fulfillment of the promise. Patient endurance, patient waiting. We wait. How many of you in this house this morning would say, yeah, there, there are things that I've prayed for, things that I'm, that I'm asking God for, and I, am, and I am waiting, patiently enduring for God to intervene and God to move in those situations. Anybody? Anybody? Hands up across this room? Yes, yes. Each one of us, we are waiting for God to, to, to ultimately redeem and rescue us from this mess. We have a hope in Jesus. We have a peace this morning. And so, as we dig into Micah chapter 5, some questions you might want to ask yourself and, and think about later throughout the week is the first one that I want you to think about is what specific attributes of God can we depend on 
as we wait for Christ. As you wait for that fulfillment, what is the attribute of God that you can count on? Maybe it's his love or his mercy. Maybe it's his provision. Maybe it's his, his holiness. Maybe it's his, his righteousness. Maybe it's his justice. But what is that attribute of God that you can depend on? His faithfulness. Second question to think about this week is, how can our discipline of waiting be a witness to those around us? I think that's a very important question because the world is looking at, whether we realize it or understand it or not, the world is looking to see how the church responds in seasons of hardship, in seasons of trial, in seasons of waiting. The world wants to see if there's anything that they can count on in God, and they're looking to the church to see if the church can count on God and if the church folks depend on God. The world's watching. They want to see what is our witness. And here's another question. What specific area in your life is God teaching you about how you should wait? Maybe it's God's teaching you that you should be, be patient. Maybe God's teaching you in your waiting that you should, that you should be spending more time in prayer and, and, and Bible reading and, 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 and faithfulness. But what is God teaching you while you should wait? So we're going to dig in now. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 says this. Now, daughter who was under attack, you slashed yourself in grief. A siege is set against us. They are striking the judge of Israel on the cheek with a rod. Bethlehem of Paphrath, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel. Bethlehem, Bethlehem, it's, it, it says it's, it's an insignificant, insignificant, small, you are small, Bethlehem, among the clans, you are, you are small, you are insignificant, but from you, one who is going to be the deliverer will come. What is so significant about such an insignificant place? The significance is God had promised to do something great in that little town. We even sing a, a hymn. There's, a, there's a, a Christmas carol, right? O little town of Bethlehem. It's insignificant, small. Perhaps the, you wrestle with the question this morning about your own insignificance. Maybe you wrestle this morning with the question, what is significant about me? What is, what is significant about, about my life? What is significant? Maybe you wrestle with the question, what's so significant about our church this morning? What is, what is so significant about this place? What, is, what does God have to do with this place? Perhaps you wrestle with the question this morning, what's so significant about this moment in my life? I believe, church, the significant significance lies not in you. The significance lies not in this church or this moment. The significance lies in the promise of God that God has given to us, placed in you long ago. He is using the insignificance of the right now to produce in you, to produce in 
and to grow in us a mighty, significant work. It begins in insignificance. The working of God begins in insignificance. In, in he is looking for folks who are willing to be insignificant. If we are willing to be brought low, he's not willing to bring us high. He is looking for those who are humble and meek and faithful. Even in this seemingly insignificant moment, God has promised to do something of great significance. And here's the thing, when you look at Bethlehem and you look at the significance that God brought into Bethlehem, even in that moment of great significance, it looked like nothing. It was a baby being born in a stable. Cows and oxen and sheep and lambs. It didn't look like anything of significance. It didn't look like anything of significance, but the Savior of the world had come. We look and we look for things big and mighty when the most significant thing, person, event of all time showed up in the most insignificant in the most insignificant way. God has promised to do something significant even when it looks like nothing. Why does that matter? That is the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Luke chapter 2 Verse 1 through 7, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be, should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his hometown. And Joseph also went up from Nazareth to Galilee to, in Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the, the lineage of David. And and so he went with Mary to be registered, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Matthew chapter 2. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and we've come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes and the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him. Because this is what was written by the prophet and you, Bethlehem the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time for the star 
appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went on their way and there it was, the star they had seen rising. And they led them and it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him, and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Bethlehem, who was least among the tribes of Judah, in the cities of Judah, the clans of Judah. Yet in this insignificant town, a significant event would take place. And the only reason that the shepherds knew was because angels told them. The only reason the magi knew was because they had been reading the prophecies of the book. It's pretty interesting that the Spirit and the Word work together to bring people to Bethlehem that night. But it was so insignificant that had, had they not been looking and had the angel not told them, nobody would have known. These magi, they understood the prophecy. And they didn't even question, they didn't question why God chose Bethlehem. Perhaps they, they understood that it pointed back to the home of David and, and recognized that this ruler would come. They had been studying the prophecy and they, they understood that the fulfillment of the promise that God made with David about his everlasting covenant, that maybe they, they understood that. They understood that in this insignificant, small, little region, small, little town, would come one who would be ruler in Israel. You may feel insignificant this morning. You too may feel worthless. You may feel like nothing of significance will ever come. You may wonder, you may beg God for answers. You may question everything you've ever that was made to a small insignificant village is actually the fulfillment of a promise made to a mighty nation. And God keeps his promises. God keeps his word. And that night the world was blessed because eternal king and ruler showed up in an insignificant place. Oh God, show up in this insignificant place. God, show up in my insignificance. Show up in this people's insignificance. God, we're not mighty. We're not Powerful. We're not what the world thinks of when they think of big and mighty and 
prestigious. But God, pour your spirit out in our insignificance so that a significant work can become our reality in us. Pour your spirit out in our insignificance. Just like that, just like that, the town, the small little town of Bethlehem brought light to the whole world. Even, church, even in you, even though you may feel like you are small and insignificant, listen, God is using and will use you to bring light. God will not leave us in darkness. God will not leave you in darkness. God will not leave me in darkness. God will not. Light is coming. Light has come. The promise was fulfilled. God will fulfill what he has spoken. He keeps his word. Every promise of God finds its yes, its amen in Jesus. And we may not understand, church. We may not understand when or how it'll happen. We may not understand the trial and the waiting while we're longing for the fulfillment. We may not understand why it feels like death is all around us at the moment, but here is the promise. Here is the promise. One, he will stand and shepherd us. Two, he will be our peace. And three, he will be our deliverer. Let's look at that real quick this morning. Micah chapter 5 verse 4 says, and he will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic majestic name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. The imagery of Micah here takes us back to the fields of Bethlehem. As a, as a shepherd boy is pictured, that shepherd boy David pictures is pictured in the, in the fields, and that shepherd boy taught us and wrote us a psalm and, and, and taught us about a shepherd. And he said, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He makes me lie down in, in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He renews my life. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The prophet Micah speaks of this shepherd that will come out of Bethlehem. While we don't understand the when or the how, and when we don't understand the trial and the waiting, and when we don't understand why it feels like death, the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. Welcome. The Lord is our shepherd. 
gone off. Whatever you're fighting, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through this morning, you have a shepherd who will shepherd you. He will guide you. He will will hold you. He will keep you. You have a shepherd today. You have a shepherd who will stand and shepherd us. He protects and he keeps. Secondly, this, this one who will come out of Bethlehem, Micah 5, 5, he will be our peace. He will be our peace. It says he will be their peace when Assyria invades our land. When it marches against our fortresses, we will raise we will raise against its seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. There will be peace. There will be shalom. There will be wholeness and completeness and, and harmony and welfare. Not an absence of conflict, not merely an absence of conflict, but a stability, a peace within that comes from this, this prince of peace. He will be our peace. He'll be the shepherd who stands. He'll be the prince of peace who comes to bring peace. John 14, 26 and 27 says this, But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give it as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. When we don't understand the why or the how, we have peace because we have the shepherd. When we don't understand the trial and the waiting, we have peace. He is our peace. No matter what you're facing today, the Prince of Peace is near. The Prince of Peace is near. And finally, Micah tells us, he will be our rescuer. Micah 5, 5 and 6 says he will be their peace when Assyria invades our land and marches in the fortress. He will raise seven shepherds, eight leaders of men, for they will shepherd the land of Assyria with a sword, the land of Nimrod with a drawn blade. He will rescue us from Assyria when it invades our land, when it marches against our territory. He is our rescuer. Galatians 1, 3, 4, and 5 says, Grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Jesus invaded our land. Jesus came into our land within our borders to deliver us. And when the enemy comes into our land now, within our borders, Jesus is the one to defend and deliver us. Jesus keeps you. Jesus keeps you, even in this present evil age. We have been, and we are redeemed, and we will be delivered. showed up in this insignificant town to deliver us the joy the hope 
blessed by God finds its fulfillment in the one it was sent for, Jesus. This morning, you may feel insignificant, but Jesus sees your worth. You may wonder when the storm will pass, but in the fullness of time, when God's perfect will in this season has been accomplished, the storm has passed. Jesus is your shepherd. Jesus is your keeper. Jesus is your deliverer. We have a Savior in whom we wait for his glorious Thank you for your word today. Thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that as we as we wrestle through this life, we are reminded that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But Lord, you are mighty to save. You are mighty to deliver. Even in our insignificance, saw a people for love. You saw a people to deliver. You saw a people to rescue. As you come this morning to receive the elements of communion, if you are going through a struggle, if you are going through a battle, I want you to know that you're welcome to stay here. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for you this morning. I believe that God will meet you here. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your spirit, for your word. And we invite now the church, the congregation, would you come and receive the elements of communion.